Raw Footage Podcast. So there really is only one place to start with the review of the 2022 Oscars. Who'd have thought that Riz Ahmed's first Oscar would be for Best Live Action Short the year after he was justifiably nominated for Best Actor? Yeah, Riz Ahmed, Oscar winner. (laughs) But uh, yeah, in all seriousness, Will Smith punched Chris Rock. What the fuck? As this was happening, I was pretty sure it was a bit. I mean, there's lots of, you know, playful banter that goes on, and there's lots of self-depreciation which goes on during the Oscars. I thought, oh, it's a bit. But then, after Will Smith went up on stage and punched Chris Rock, he sat back down next to his wife, Jada Pinkett Smith, who, by the way, was wearing a huge dress, which, since she was sitting in the front row, all the winners had to walk around as they were going up on stage but will smith sat back down and then dropped a couple of audible f-bombs on live tv so i thought oh shit this isn't a bit will smith has just punched chris rock and wow that's the kind of thing that It's going to be interesting seeing if there are any long-term consequences for Will Smith's career and how bad the consequences for Will Smith's career are. When he inevitably won Best Actor, which, as I said in my Oscar preview, I don't think he actually deserved to win for King Richard, he made his speech a kind of oblique reference to him he's saying you know richard williams was a man who protected his family i'm the kind of person who needs to protect his family you know there's tears streaming down his face he notably apologized to the academy he apologized to his fellow nominees but he did not apologize to chris rock and then made the actually somewhat interesting points you know if i'm invited back to the oscars next year which i i think is not out of the realm of possibility that he could just not be there i mean I think I see this going one of two ways. Either Will Smith is not going to be at next year's Oscars, or he will present Best Actress with boxing gloves. I'm sure of it. Either they're going to make a joke of it, or he's not welcome. And it's going to be really interesting seeing which one it is, because not only did this happen, you know, somebody punched somebody else live on stage at the Oscars, the fact it was Will Smith doing it was really, really interesting. You look at Will Smith's career, and it is notable that he has been very, very careful about how he presents himself, his image. You look at his IMDb page, and it's full of heroic figures, it's full of action movies. He very, very rarely plays villains. Looking over his 
IMDb page, I think there's only three roles you could say are villains. Focus, where he plays a con man, but he's the protagonist of the movie. Suicide Squad, where the whole point is that he's a villain and he is the protagonist of the movie. And Gemini Man, where he plays a hitman, but the whole point is that he's trying to protect himself and his potential target from another hitman, also played by a digitally de-aged Will Smith. So, yeah, he is very, very careful about his public image. He hasn't done anything remotely controversial since 1993 where he was in Six Degrees of Separation, playing a gay con man. I mean, he was just getting out of Fresh Prince. Basically, that was him saying, look, I can be an actual actor. I can be a proper actor. And he's been very careful about his image ever since. I mean, desperately trying to get an Oscar. I mean, collateral beauty, what the fuck? But he did get nominated for Ali. And I think he should have won for Ali. But it just so happened that that was the year that the Academy decided that we're going to make up for the fact we didn't give Denzel Washington the Oscar for Malcolm X, so we're going to give it to him for Training Day. And Training Day is an inferior performance to Malcolm X. It's also an inferior performance to Will Smith in Ali. But that's the way the Academy works. He was due, so Will Smith lost out. And now he's been given an Oscar for a role which I believe isn't very good and shouldn't be lauded, but I've talked well enough about the role in King Richard quite enough. So, in the grand scheme of things, yes, I think Chris Rock did cross a line, but he didn't cross a line so much that he deserved to be punched live on screen. I mean, this is something that is a repeated factor in the Oscars. They have a streak of self-depreciating humour, which is always present at the Oscars. I mean, talking about how the Academy obviously didn't read the reviews of Don't Look Up before it awarded it a Best Picture nomination. Last I looked, Don't Look Up was the only one of the 10 Best Picture nominees which has a negative score on Rotten Tomatoes. So they made fun of it. There was another gag about... Oh, hey, here's one of the things in the goodie bag this year. It's a DVD of a completely unseen film, Ridley Scott's The Last Duel, which notoriously bombed. And as you'll hear in my Oscar preview, I actually really, really liked and I think should have got several award nominations and at least one win. So, you know, this kind of self depreciating humour is always, always present. Moments before Chris Rock made the joke about Will Smith and Jada Pinkett Smith, he made a gag about Javier Bardem and Penelope Cruz. They're a married couple, both nominated this year for Best Actor and Best Actress. And earlier in the ceremony, there was another one of these pieces of self-depreciating humour, which directly involved Will Smith and Jada Pinkett Smith. One of the things that happened was Regina Hall was up on stage and said, uh, well, yeah, everybody's been tested for COVID, but unfortunately some tests have gone missing. So, um, yeah, I personally were going to have to take some people backstage for uh, additional testing. And it's completely random, it's completely random, but would uh, Bradley Cooper and Timothy Chalamet and Tyler Perry and Simu Liu 
come up on stage and you know Simu Liu also presented an award later in the night with Tiffany Haddish and Tiffany Haddish was throwing herself at Simu Liu as well and then he said uh well, Javier Bardem oh yeah he's oh no sorry he's married oh, I mean he's negative so yeah it was a gag I mean I love the fact or uh, I, I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing that we're actually joking about COVID tests now but that's a whole separate issue but the fact is that there was this running gag about Regina Hall getting all the attractive man and all the attractive single man up on stage. And then she said, Will Smith, is he on the list? I mean, talking to Jada Pinkett Smith and Will Smith, you know, waved her off. I mean, there have long been rumours that Will Smith and Jada Pinkett Smith are a little bit flexible in their marriage. So Regina Hall was on stage essentially making a pass at Will Smith and nothing happened. And then later in the ceremony, Chris Rock made a gag, which, yes, did go over the line, and he got punched for it. And I was thinking, really, what the hell just happened? So I looked up the the next morning, and, and the gag that got Chris Rock punched was about Jada Pinkett Smith appearing in G.I. Jane 2 which is a gag about Jada Pinkett Smith currently being bald. And I was thinking, I mean, that's fine. I mean, it's, it's not so unusual, particularly for African-American women to be bald in modern culture. But as it turns out, Jada Pinkett Smith has been struggling with alopecia for several years. So, yes, I think Chris Rock did cross a line, but I don't think he deserved to get punched. And I think the way that this was glossed over. I mean, nobody really knew what to do. I mean, Sir Anthony Hopkins threw a little bit of shade at Will Smith later in the ceremony when he came out to award Best Actress. And, you know, people made references here and there. I mean, I feel really sorry for Questlove. I mean, the fact that Questlove has now won an Oscar is also. I mean, Summer of Soul did win for Best Documentary Feature, which was the award that Chris Rock was awarding. And... Nobody paid attention to his acceptance speech because they were all still reading from the fact that Will Smith just punched Chris Rock. And at least here in the UK, something went wrong with the satellite signal anyway. So here in the UK, Questlove's speech wasn't broadcast anyway. So, yeah, everybody was really unsure as to what to do about it. And yet, Will Smith still went up on stage later and accepted his Best Actor award. And the tears started running and he started trying to justify his actions. But part of me was really, really thinking, how genuine is this? After all, this is a man who has literally just won an Oscar for how good an actor he is. So how much of this tears streaming down his face appearing contrite is a put-on PR spin performance? That really, really did make me wonder. I mean, it's going to be absolutely fascinating seeing how this plays out, not in the immediate days and weeks after the ceremony, but in the months and even the years after this ceremony. Is there going to be any damage to Will Smith's perception, to his career? even to Chris Rock's perception. I mean, Chris Rock, that's what he does. He goes over the line. He's made some very, very distasteful jokes, and that was the one that got him punched on live TV. But anyway, 
it's going to be really, really fascinating to see how this plays out. But it's quite similar to a few years back when a non-award-related thing caused enough controversy that it kind of overshadowed what won the night. The screw-up that Warren Beatty made about La La Land over Moonlight overshadowed the fact that Moonlight, a film about a queer black man, won Best Picture that night. Nobody remembers that. They only remember the screw-up. And the fact that the 2022 Oscars will forever and always, I'm sure it will, will be forever and always known as the Oscar ceremony where Will Smith punched Chris Rock, that the fact that Coda won Best Picture will be overlooked. And that is the first time in such a long time I have been genuinely surprised by a Best Picture winner. In the run-up to the Oscars, it was largely seen as a two-horse race between Kenneth Branagh's Belfast and Jane Campion's The Power of the Dog. I marginally preferred Kenneth Branagh's Belfast, but either one would, in my mind, have been a very worthy, very prestigious winner. But Coda snuck up at the last minute. The fact that Sean Hader did not get a Best Director nomination The fact that Coda did not get a Best Editing nomination, which is often a very good indicator of what's going to win Best Picture, this was a very, very last-minute thing. Coda only got nominated for three Oscars, and it won all of them. Best Adapted Screenplay, which again surprised me. Best Supporting Actor, which was absolutely expected, but as I said in my Oscar preview, I actually don't think Troy Kotzer deserved that, but you know, I perfectly okay with him winning i think it was good just don't think it was as good as the others and best picture was the other one that coda got nominated for and won so yeah i think what's happened here is preferential voting influencing the results best picture is the only category at the oscars which has preferential voting you rank the nominees one to ten In every other category, it's just what is the best in this category, and you tick one box. But in Best Picture, it's one to ten. And you see who's got the most votes, and if not enough people have have got that vote, then who's got the most second place votes, etc., etc. And I think what has happened here is enough people had Coda as their second or third favourite film on the list that it snuck up behind The Power of the Dog and Belfast. These lists are never, ever published, but I would be fascinated to see which film got the most first-placed votes, because I'm willing to bet a lot of money that it wasn't Coda. I think Power of the Dog probably got the most first-place votes but enough people had Coda as the second or third favourite film that it snuck up and took over. And yeah, that really, really surprised me. It's a fine film, it really is. I I think it's enjoyable, it has lots of visibility for disabled actors. Both of the parents in this film have Oscars. I mean, there's only ever been two deaf acting Oscars handed out, and. Both of them were in the film Coda. 
I mean, Mario Matlin won, what, 25 odd years ago? The Children of a Lesser God, I think it was called. But it presented the somewhat awkward situation that, I mean, as I said, the tradition is that last year's Best Supporting Actress hands out this year's Best Supporting Actor. And last year's Best Supporting Actress was Ye Jung Yoon, a Korean actress who doesn't speak particularly good English. So she was handing an Oscar to Troy Kotzer, a deaf actor. And you know, because Troy Kotzer had to sign, Yoo Jung Yoon had to stand awkwardly by his side, just holding his Oscar while he gave his acceptance speech. So we had the Korean actress Yoo Jung Yoon handing off to the deaf actor Troy Kotzer, where spoken English is not their first language in either case. And yeah, it's going to be really interesting seeing how they handle Troy Kotzer at next year's ceremony when he will be expected to hand out Best Supporting Actress. But regardless, it's, it's interesting. But yeah, Coda got nominated for three awards, won all three of them, and The Power of the Dog only won for Best Director. And that's the first time that's happened since The Graduate, apparently, that the only Oscar that a film won was Best Director. And the only win that Belfast got was for Best Original Screenplay. And I didn't realise that that was actually Kenneth Branagh's first Oscar. I mean, when I did the Oscar preview, it kind of glossed over that he'd been nominated loads of times. But that was his first win. And he also holds the record for being nominated in the most different categories. But yeah, Kenneth Branagh has finally got his Oscar, and I think that was absolutely deserved. I was sure that Licorice Pizza was going to win it for Best Original Screenplay, but regardless. It was weird how the Oscars got divvied up, although something happened this year which is becoming increasingly common in the fact that one film won all the technical awards or the vast majority of the technical awards. Dune won six Oscars, all in so-called under-the-line categories. It won Best Sound, Best Cinematography, Best Visual Effects, Best Score for Hans Zimmer. I mean, I think that was more, oh, Hans Zimmer's got a nomination, let's give him an award, rather than any Quality in Dune's case. Uh, also won Best Editing, and Best Production Design. And you can make a very strong argument that Dune actively has bad production design, yet it won the Oscar. I think it, it seems like an increasingly common practice that in all the backstage, so to speak, Oscars, you just tick one film in all those categories. And sometimes it's just not deserved. I mean, this, this happened with Avatar a technical powerhouse of a film, and it won all the technical Oscars, including Best Cinematography. To all intents and purposes, Avatar was an animated film, and yet it won Best Cinematography. Because people just ticked the box. And speaking of cinematography, I think this is a good example of how sometimes this kind of thing just doesn't work as well as it should. I mean, I do actually think that Greg Fraser shooting Dune was a very, very good performance. In many other years, I think it would have won the Oscar hands down. But when you compare it to the other things it was up against, it's the bottom of my personal list. I mean, you compare it to the stark, brilliant 
literally brilliant black and white of the tragedy of Macbeth shot by Bruno del Bernal. You compare it to the textured evocation of film noir in Nightmare Alley shot by Dan Lauston. You compare it to the scope and scale of the vistas of The Power of the Dog shot by Ari Wagner. And even the lush, polished cinematography of West Side Story by Janusz Kaminski. Now, personally speaking, I actually think that hurts my personal experience of West Side Story, but there's no denying it's beautifully, beautifully shot, and yet they gave it to Dune. They just ticked all the boxes for all the -the below-the-line categories, Uh, and yeah, the way that backstage awards are handed out is becoming something of a flashpoint, I think. I mean, this year, they relegated eight presentations to before the TV broadcast started, and then littered them in throughout the night, including just before Best Actress was handed out, the pre-recorded thing that happened when Best Makeup and Hairstyling went to the eyes of Tammy Faye was shoved in just before Best Actress. I understand why they did it. I mean, that was the two awards that the eyes of Tommy Faye got, but it felt really, really awkward. And apparently, the TV broadcast edited out the bit where the people who won for makeup and hairstyling said, you need to respect below-the-line crafts in award ceremonies. And that was edited out of the Oscars, because of course it was. And the thing is that ostensibly, this strategy was to shorten the length of the Oscars. And yet, apparently, this was the longest Oscar ceremony for several years. So that didn't work. And yes, you shove things like best editing and all the short subject awards and best sound off before the ceremony starts. And then you have things like Tony Hawk, Kelly Slater, and Sean White introducing a package celebrating the 60th anniversary of James Bond. You have Francis Ford Coppola, Robert De Niro, and Al Pacino coming up on stage to celebrate the 50th anniversary of The Godfather. You have what was advertised as the first ever live performance of We Don't Talk About Bruno in the ceremony. And even that was a bit of a waste of time. I mean, on paper, yes, yeah, give us We Don't Talk About Bruno live in the Dolby Theatre. But I think it was hampered by a couple of different factors. I saw something on Twitter, and I agree with it, that I am absolutely sure that this bit of We Don't Talk About Bruno was intended to be the opening of the ceremony. Because While they said it was the first live performance of We Don't Talk About Bruno, what it eventually turned into was one of those self-congratulatory statements of how the Oscars is awesome. So I think that was supposed to open the ceremony. But then they actually managed to book Beyonce. Beyonce was nominated for her song Be Alive from King Richard. And again, I'm not a huge fan of Beyonce, but I don't think this particular song's actually very good. But She opened the ceremony, well, the Williams sisters opened the ceremony and introduced a performance of Be Alive by Beyonce, which was on 
the tennis courts in Compton. So there's this big elaborate production number, and that's what opened the ceremony. And I'm betting that was a last minute addition, and they shifted. We don't talk about Bruno later in the ceremony because changing the lyrics and making it about how awesome the Oscars are. It's a bit disingenuous saying that's the first ever live performance of We Don't Talk About Bruno because it wasn't. You changed it so much that it was ineffective. And it was also hampered by the fact that Lin-Manuel Miranda was not in attendance. His wife tested positive for COVID, so he wasn't at the ceremony. I'm betting if he had been in it, it would have been better, it would have been different. But yeah, you put that in and you put extreme sports stars introducing a package about the 60th anniversary of Bond. I mean, what's the point of that? I mean, there was a lot of anniversaries. I mean, it was the 28th anniversary of Pulp Fiction, and that was only to get Samuel L. Jackson up on stage, who the previous night had won one of the Governor's Awards, you know, basically a Lifetime Achievements Award. There was the 30th anniversary of White Men Can't Jump, so Woody Harrelson, Wesley Snipes, and Rosie Perez hosted an award together and they were cute together they clearly still like each other and have chemistry together oh and it's also the i think the 40th anniversary of cabaret so best picture was presented by lady gaga and liza minnelli and liza minnelli is not doing well at all that was uncomfortable on several levels and it was also the climax of the show and and lady gaga had to do so much work there uh, On paper, that was a lovely gesture. In practice, I don't think they should have done it. But yeah, I mean, lots and lots of stuff like that. And also, they shoved in things. You know, here's the fan-selected stuff. This will get the the young people back watching the Oscars live, which is just never, ever going to happen. I mean, they had, you know, best cinematic moment of 2021 and best fan-favorite movie of 2021. And they both went to Zack Snyder things, which means that this is not an award that is for the fan favourite thing. It's an award for whose fan base can be mobilised most. Zack Snyder fans are going to latch onto that and vote for it again and again and again and again. And the fact that The Flash entering the Speed Force from Zack Snyder's Justice League won best moments and the fact that army of the dead won best fan favorite film i mean this is a terrible terrible idea and very weird choices as well one of the selections on the fan favorite film list was minamata which is a hard-hitting film about a photojournalist documenting an environmental catastrophe in japan Starring the now somewhat persona non grata Johnny Depp. And that was apparently one of the fan favourite films on the list. Really? This is a terrible, terrible idea and it should be stripped from the awards. Particularly since Below the Line Awards got shoved off and we replaced it with all this bullshit. But there are certain things you can't avoid having in the ceremony and the in memoriam section this year i thought was done very very well with specific people introducing specific things i mean it started out with tyler perry talking about sydney poitier halfway through we had bill murray talking about ivan reitman 
And later we had Jamie Lee Curtis talking about Betty White. And the actual music for the In Memoriam section was a very upbeat, very gospel-infused thing. I mean, it's often one of the more maudlin moments of the night, but this was a very celebratory moment, which I thought was very nice. And I also found it notable that Helena Hutchings, the cinematographer who Alec Baldwin accidentally killed, was very prominent in the In Memoriam section. So in that case, they cared about under-the-line nominations, but regardless. Another interesting moment was a perfect confluence of events. Now, throughout the course of the night, four out of the five Best Original Song nominations were performed, including opening the ceremony with Beyoncé. And in each case, you know, somebody who is directly connected to the film introduced it. Like... Rami Malek introduced No Time to Die by Billie Eilish and Phineas, and that won because the Bond theme always wins. Stephanie Beatriz introduced Dos Orgitas, and the random best song nomination this year was a song called Somehow You Do, performed by Reba McIntyre, which was in the film Four Good Days, which nobody's ever heard of. But it was a song written by Diane Warren. And Diane Warren is a legendary songwriter, particularly in the realm of film music. Going all the way back to Nothing Is Gonna Stop Us Now from Mannequin, Because You Loved Me, How Do I Live, I Don't Want To Miss A Thing, and also Till It Happens To You, which she co-wrote with Lady Gaga. I mean, this is one of the standout juxtapositions of how bad the Oscars can sometimes be. Best original song performance, Lady Gaga and Rape Survivors on stage singing this amazing song, which was attached to a documentary about rape. A jaw-dropping, emotional performance. And then immediately afterwards, they gave the Oscar to Sam Smith for the Bond theme. So yeah, Diane Warren is a legendary songwriter. She has been nominated 13 times and never won. And she got nominated again for this pretty unremarkable song in a very unremarkable film. I did look her up. She's in the top 10 people who've been nominated the most but never won. The introduction to this song was done by Mila Kunis. Amila Kunis is one of the actors in Four Good Days. It's apparently a, a film about surviving rehab with addict Mila Kunis causing troubles for her mother, Glenn Close. So Mila Kunis introduced this performance by Reba McIntyre. And very coincidentally and very conveniently, Mila Kunis was born in Ukraine before emigrating to the United States when she was about six, I think it was. So that was a perfect, I mean, gold-plated opportunity to talk about Ukraine and to you know, put up donation links on screen. So yeah, that was, I think, the only time that Ukraine was explicitly talked about in the ceremony. And I mean, that's fine. I mean, it, they can go overboard with that kind of thing occasionally. That, I think, was the perfect moment to put it in. I mean, the fact that this Ukrainian-born actress was going to be on stage anyway. 
you may as well do it. So yeah, that worked out very, very well. I think the best speech of the night was probably Ariana DeBose talking about how she was a queer Afro-Latina woman who'd just won an Oscar and there is a place for us, which I thought was really, really nice. And, you know, the clips that they play just before the ceremony, the clip they had to choose for Judy Dench just highlighted for me how weak that performance was. And it should not have been nominated, particularly since Katrina Balfe wasn't. But, yeah, I mean, it's, it's the Oscar ceremony where Will Smith punched Chris Rock. And that's all it will ever be. I mean, all this other really interesting and occasionally surprising stuff happened. And it's just going to be the ceremony where Will Smith punched Chris Rock. And that's a shame, but it happened. We're going to have to deal with it. And like I said, it's going to be fascinating seeing if there are any long-term consequences for Will Smith and how severe any long-term consequences will be. I think his image, his public perception has been tarnished by this, but how much is very much up for debate. So, yeah, that was the 94th Academy Awards. 